Views. I'm your host, Renee Kranz. On today's show, we will have Michael Pauley here. He is the executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. He's coming in to talk to us about the legislative session this year in Pierre, which will just be wrapping up, and his role there, what he does, and what bills we should maybe be aware of that were passed, not passed, whatever. It's a really good conversation. Michael Pauley is a very smart guy, really good to listen to, so I hope you'll stick around for that. We have another smart guy here. <laughs> Casey Bassett, a, everybody. Yes. Uh, <laughs> behind the scenes. Also a smart guy. Um, but we have Dr. Chris Bergwald here for some biblical bites with Dr. B. And he, I don't think Casey hooked up his microphone today. I know. So. I, I just pushed it away, in fact. <laughs> he did. He's like, I'm not on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what, Bill, I really try to, I'm, I'm following and attentive to. Which one? Seely. Oh, well. Yeah. I wondered as soon as you said Bill, actually, that was the first place my mind went was Bill Seely, which is really terrifying. Bill Seely. <laughs> um, so, what's an air we this weekend? Third? Yep. Okay. Good job. Uh, and we unusually are not getting a reading from the gospel according to Matthew. We're in Matthew, year A, oh, yeah. in the three year Sunday cycle, but mm-hmm. this is one of those. Um, one of those occasions, uh, not too common, um, especially in year A with Matthew's gospel because of Matthew's length. But this is one of the occasions where we get John instead. Does this happen when we when when it gets switched out like this? Usually during a weird, lit- a different litur- liturgical season like Lent or Advent. Oh, is that when that yeah, usually tends to happen? Yeah, it tends to happen then. Y- year- or a feast day. Something. It definitely could be a feast day. Yeah. Um, year B, we it, we. Even in an ordinary time, we get some John because year B is Mark's gospel. Uh, and he's short. And Mark's the shortest of, of the four. So we've kind of fill him out. So in case folks haven't heard when we've summarized this three-year Sunday cycle mm-hmm. and you're, 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 the first year, year A, it's called, is predominantly from Matthew, mm-hmm. year B predominantly from Mark, and year uh, C, I said, shoot, I hate it when I do that. A to C, A, B, C, year C, the third year, uh, is from um, Luke. Right. Uh, and so John is just filled in. Sure. Yes, um, <laughs> in all three years, but especially in uh, year, year B. B with okay. Mark. With a, year A with Matthew, it's on occasion. Okay. Yes, usually. Uh, although I think even, uh, I think it was at the second Sunday in Ordinary Time, we got John's account of the baptism of the Lord. Oh, yeah, that's right. So That's right. So. Okay. Um but we, what we get this Sunday from John's gospel is one of my favorite accounts, which is the uh, Samaritan woman at the well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Casey, cue the map. <laughs> map, is, map, map is... Map. <laughs> can we green screen this and just for people we, so oh. as I'm... Like the weatherman, you know, where that I'm looking over here like it used to be before. Um, so Je- this is how the reading starts. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. So, and right now, to be honest, I can't remember. I, I don't remember if they're going north or south. But Jesus unusually takes his disciples through Samaria. Right. So Usually Jews do not walk through Samaria. Because, Renee? Uh, because they are like enemy, like sworn enemies. Yeah. The, somehow. The, the, <laughs> the Samaritans are the descendants of... Um, Israelites who had married in That's with foreigners. Right. Right. This is centuries before Jesus, around the 8th century BC, um, when the Assyrian Empire had invaded part of Israel um, and deported many Israelites and imported um, a bunch of pagans. Mm-hmm. 
and they intermarried and the religion of these intermarried people was a, a, a version of Judaism. Oh, sure. But kind of like, kind of like a heretical right. synchro- synchronistic, synchronistic, uh, synchronistic version of Judaism where it's got some Judaism belief in Moses and the Messiah to come, but some other beliefs right. as well. So that's why Jews, Jews kind of look down on them even more than they look down on pagans right. because it's sort of like Samaritans being at least uh, partially descended from Israelites should know better. Yeah, like they turn their back on their... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't get along, um, but Jesus. So the yeah, normally good Jews, observant Jews, would not even go through Samaria right. when they're going from uh, Galilee up north to Judea and the south, which is where Jerusalem is. They go. Jesus takes them through, and not only in that. So we're going to totally run out of time here. Jesus has a conversation with a Samaritan woman at at the the, the at noon. And what's unusual about this is normally you went to the well. They're at the well. Mm-hmm. Um, normally it would be it was the woman's responsibility in the household to get the water from the well. But normally you went in the morning. Right. This woman goes at noon because she's um, she's an outcast among her people because she's been married, divorced, remarried five six times. Right. She's now living with a guy who's not her husband right. at all. Jesus talks to her. And for us as 21st century Americans, what's the big deal? No, this is a huge deal. Faithful Jew, Jewish men did not talk to Jewish women in public. Right. Even when their husbands were there, is that right? Uh, I think so. at least alone. At least alone. alone. This is a faithful Jewish man talking to a woman who's a Samaritan as well. (laughs) Jesus is breaking the rules and he's beginning to proclaim the gospel, not just to Jews, but to other people as well. In this case, the Samaritan. There's a lot more that could be said, but we'll leave it at that for today. We'll have to do it next year. There we go. All right. Thanks, Dr. B. You bet. Today I have with me by Zoom... Uh, Michael Pauley. He is the executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. Welcome, Michael. Great to be with you, Renee. Yeah, um, we have to do it by Zoom because Michael is in Pierre right now. <laughs> actually, actually, full disclosure, um, I managed to escape from Pierre and now in now in Rapid City. So, uh, okay, I, well, you literally I, just left. I just you? left. I, I was in Pierre uh, most of the week. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, you've been there for a little while. Yes, yeah. since uh, January tenth, uh, I believe, was the uh, first day of sessions. And so. do you just go during the week and then go home in the, on the weekends, or what do you do? I do. Yeah, typically uh, it's a four day week, uh, so that there's a okay. three day break, and that and that's really nice. Though yeah. you get a little bit of time to rest and uh, and decompress. Yeah, that's good that they do that for you and for all of our legislators. As well. That's right. That's right. You don't. Yeah. You don't want laws being made by people who haven't slept uh, recently, or seen so. their families, or all of that stuff. So, exactly. Um, all right. Well, we wanted to have Michael on today to uh, talk about this year's legislative session. Um, just get a really uh, a little better idea of what does the South Dakota Catholic Conference do in Pierre while they're while you're there. Um, Because I think it's something that we should know about, and a lot of us do not. A lot of people don't know what the South Dakota Catholic Conference is. (laughs) So, Michael, will you start with that? Uh, What is the South Dakota Catholic Conference, and what do you do in Pierre? Sure. Well, the, the simplest way to express the mission of the South Dakota Catholic Conference is that it is the voice of the bishops of South Dakota on public policy matters. So, uh, the, the church has a voice uh, in the public square uh, in the state, and the South Dakota Catholic Conference mission uh, is to articulate that voice. Um, my predecessor, uh, Chris Motes, uh, oftentimes explained that the Catholic Conference is 
the eyes, the ears, and occasionally the voice of the bishops on public policy matters. And I like that formulation because um, there, there is definitely, uh, well, I guess I would just put it this way, that in this year's legislative session, there were 511 bills oh. introduced, 511. Oh my gosh. And yes, part of my job is to look at each and every one of those bills. Now, um, to be honest, I don't read them, you know, from start to finish, but I at least pull up each and every bill. I look at the title and 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 skim through it uh, with a view to just looking at, are, are there any issues touched on in this bill that um, the, that possibly the Catholic bishops would be interested in taking a stand on, either right. in support of or in opposition to that. Um, and so out of that 511 bills, uh, I reduced it this session to what we call a watch list of about 61 bills. Oh, wow. Uh, and then among those 61 bills, the Catholic Conference uh, formally weighed in on about 10 of them. Right. So it's kind of a a winnowing down process, uh, right. and there's a especially early in the session when the bills are being introduced fast and furious, um, an enormous amount of my time is actually spent reading and studying and just just going through this filtering process of looking at the bills and figuring out are there significant issues that the church might. Uh, wish to uh, express a view on. Right. So, okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to use what maybe some people will consider a dirty word here for a second. And don't be scared. Um, <laughs> uh, are you basically considered a lobbyist? Yes. In, okay. Yes. So Very then, much so. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then as that type of role, when you're there, what are you doing with the legislators? Are you, I'm sure you're not just reading um, uh, bills. So tell me about some of the things you do. Certainly, certainly. Well, yeah, and maybe I can kind of help illustrate that by sort of describing what a typical day in the life yes. of the legislature would would look like. So uh, typically, you know, you're, you've got to be up at 5.30, 6 o'clock a.m. Uh, to get ready for the first uh, committee hearings, which, again, in a typical day, usually begin at 7.45 a.m. So you've got kind of round one of committee hearings on bills at 7.45 a.m. And then that usually goes till about 9.45. And then at 10 o'clock a.m., there's a second round of uh, committees that meet and they usually go till about 11.30, 11.45. So sort of two rounds of committee hearings in the morning. Um, and it's it's very uh, unpredictable. There there will be some mornings where maybe only one bill that I'm interested in monitoring is up, and then there's other mornings where there may be three or four bills being simultaneously heard. And uh, I haven't mastered the skill of of by location yet, where I can be in in multiple places. So it's oftentimes the case that um, I have to pick and choose which bills yeah. I'm going to be at the hearing. And then afterwards, I have to go back and listen to the recording of the mm -hmm. hearing that I missed, you know, to try to uh, keep up to speed about what's right. going on. But you, you so anyway, to, you need to channel your inner Padre Pio. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, he would have made it. He would have made a great lobbyist. So. <laughs> Probably. He could both read souls and bilocate. That would be really exactly. terrifying as a lobbyist, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Go so, ahead. Sorry. Uh, so, so, yeah, two rounds of committee hearings in the morning. Then there's a break for lunch. Uh, 
And then the uh, Senate and House floor sessions on most days begin at 2 o'clock p.m., sometimes at 1 o'clock p.m., but uh, typically at 2. And then those floor sessions can go anywhere from, you know, one hour to, you know, even as long as three or four hours, just depending upon, you know, how many bills mm -hmm. are on the agenda, how packed things are. Uh, and so that pretty much takes you into the late afternoon or early evening. Uh, but then the work doesn't stop. In the mm -hmm. evening, there are uh, a whole series of things that happen. Most evenings, there's legislative receptions that are sponsored by various uh, industry groups or or special interest groups that uh, just just are holding hospitality receptions. Um, the, the Bishop DeGroote actually uh, did such a reception mm -hmm. uh, during mm -hmm. that session. So so we uh, the Catholic Church had its own uh, reception, and uh, it's just an opportunity to invite legislators for hospitality, have a chance for one on one conversations about bills. Uh, and then the other important thing that happens in the evenings are. Uh, what I would call informal strategy sessions oh, where okay. uh, different groups of allied lobbyists will meet with legislators that we're collaborating on either to try to advance certain bills or maybe to stop uh, other bills. And so to, to be honest, some of the most important work that goes on in the Capitol during the session happens after 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. because that's when there's there's no official business on the calendar and therefore people have time yeah. to kind of sit down and, and talk through the issues informally. Yeah. So uh, typically it's a long day that starts at 7.45 a.m. and wraps up around 9 p.m. Oh, gosh. And so the, day, the, days, are, the days are long <laughs> and intense, which is why that, that three-day weekend is really mm -hmm. valuable. Yeah, you've got to have some good stamina to, to keep up with that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Okay, so um, in all this, of course, you're representing the church. Um, are you received well by the lawmakers, uh, especially those who might not be Catholic or disagree with the church? How does that, how's that feeling to you there? Yeah, well, it, it, it is hard to generalize because, you know, there's 105 lawmakers, mm -hmm. if you add up both the membership of the House and the Senate. And um, although South Dakota is generally seen as, as being a uh, a conservative Republican state. The reality is, is that among that 105 lawmakers, you've got the entire ideological spectrum right. represented from 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 left to right, um, and uh, one third of the entire legislature is was brand new when this oh, session started wow. in January. Mm -hmm. uh, meaning they were newly elected, had not served before, uh, so. Uh, you know, so out of the 105 legislators, you know, quite candidly, there's a, a good number of them that I've got a close relationship with and we're on a first name basis. Mm -hmm. And then there's other lawmakers that I haven't even met them. Right. You know, I mean, right. it's, so it really, it, it's, you, you think about, a, I, I sometimes use the analogy of a teacher in school with a classroom of 25 or, or 30 students, uh, how well is the teacher able to know each and every one of mm -hmm. those 25 or 30 students? And the answer would be not very well at all on the first day of class. <laughs> right. and, then, and then, and then hopefully more and more as, as, as you're spending more time with those students. And so I've kind of got a class of 105 students, <laughs> if, if you want to couch it that way. Right. And, uh, and it does take um, a long time uh, to try to establish those, those personal relationships, especially, as I said, since one third of them are completely brand new, yeah. but getting, but getting back to your question, um, 
Yeah, I, I think the Catholic Conference is is very well received um, by the legislators that are um, that we're collaborating with on issues of mutual concern. Mm-hmm. So the legislators who are working um, to advance certain public policies that the Catholic Conference supports or to oppose uh, other policies that we think are 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 not in the interest of the common good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those legislators really appreciate the Catholic Conference's involvement. Um, obviously, there's legislators uh, who uh, disagree with where the church is coming from on those issues. Uh, but but I don't believe uh, that in any case that the disagreements have become uh, personal. Good. You know, I think I think people just look at it and go, well, you know, I don't agree with where the church is coming from on this issue. Uh, but the way that we uh, approach it, um, uh, again, I, 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 not to uh, overquote my predecessor Chris Motes, but he 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 sometimes says that our role in the Capitol is to be ambassadors of reason. You know, oh yes, and and, and I, great I like one. <laughs> yeah, I, I know Chris Motes just you know he has all those sound bites that I can't help but. Uh, but quote, but I, I take that to heart that mm-hmm. when we go in to either support a bill or oppose a bill, um, I, I try to keep emotions out of it and just bring, um, you know, reasonable arguments that should be um, comprehensible by someone from any background or any faith tradition or even no faith at all. So, um, so I, I think that um, I think it's fair to say that even among those legislators who who disagree with us, um, I. I, I I think that they respect that we are reasonable in our approach to the right, issues. Right. Good. Good. Uh, if you just joined us, we're talking to Michael Pauley. He's the executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference, talking about the legislative session uh, that is just about to wrap up in Pierre this year. Um, okay. So, Michael, how involved the the Catholic Conference represents both dioceses in South Dakota, the uh, Rapid City Diocese and Sioux Falls. So you have two bishops that you work with. Uh, how involved are the two bishops in what you do? Yeah, they're they're very involved in every aspect of the Catholic Conference's work. Um, so, uh, for example, when I am in peer and I go and testify on a bill and I'm introducing myself, I you know I always say I'm Michael Pauley, Executive Director of the Catholic Conference. Uh, and then almost uh, all the time when I remember it is I, I add on to say that I explain that the Catholic Conference represents the bishops of South Dakota on public policy matters because right. I, I want them to understand that that I don't I'm not in peer representing myself or mm-hmm. my own interests. Um, I don't we I don't take a position in favor of a bill or against a bill unless both uh, Bishop Mewich in the Diocese of Rapid City and Bishop DeGrood in Sioux Falls um, uh, consent to it. And so during the session, uh, the bishops and I uh, typically will meet on a weekly basis, uh, usually by by Zoom, of course, since I'm in Pierre and Bishop Mewich is in Rapid City and Bishop DeGrood's usually in Sioux Falls. And so we meet by Zoom. Uh, and and as I mentioned before about the 511 bills, um, those meetings are where I kind of highlight to the bishops, you know, here are the bills that might be of interest, you know, mm-hmm. to the church, where the, where the um, where the church's prophetic voice perhaps needs to be heard. That right. that's what we try to focus on. Or what are those bills that where the church's voice needs to be heard? And I I my my kind of touchstone for this is. Um, 
the Catholic uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, paragraph 2246, uh, there's that line that's oft quoted that says, um, it is part of the church's mission to pass moral judgments, even in matters related to politics, mm -hmm. whenever the fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires it. So when, whenever the fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires it. And I really love that passage mm -hmm. from the catechism because I, when I'm kind of sifting through this mound of 500 bills, it's a little bit like my filter for what I use to kind of say, okay, here's a bill that I think needs to be on our watch list because, um, you know, it, it, it implicates the fundamental rights of man. An example would be religious freedom, right. anything that, right. that impinges on religious freedom, um, the right to life uh, of uh, human beings from the moment of conception to natural death. You know, mm -hmm. those are certainly any, any issue like that uh, concerns the fundamental rights of man. And then the other part of it is the salvation of souls. And so that's that's why, for example, the church uh, will speak sometimes on issues related to um, gambling oh, and sure. marijuana, you know, because these things have uh, real world uh, implications for uh, the way people live their lives. And so so that's that's kind of the filter I use. And and so I, I do make recommendations to the bishops. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I can I can assure you the the bishops do not rubber stamp anything that I recommend to them. There's a there's a very serious deliberative process that they go through, um, and uh, and so that process takes place on a weekly basis. And then between meetings, we're oftentimes communicating by email as well because sometimes uh, there there are issues even during this legislative session that came up so quickly that. Um, you know, it, it couldn't even wait until our next regularly scheduled meeting. Right. And we have to, we have to resolve things uh, through an email discussion. Right. That's really helpful to know. I, I mean, knowing Bishop DeGrood, um, somewhat at least, I'm not surprised that he wouldn't rubber stamp it because, I mean, he wants to make sure that, yes. that he knows what's going on. And I think that's really critical of a bishop. Yeah, he's, so. he's, he's very thoughtful and, and very deep. And, yeah. and Bishop, Bishop Mewich in Rapid City is very much the Good. same way. Good. Um, okay. We have about five-ish minutes left. So can you pick from the bills that you have um, weighed in on with the bishops? Sure. Um, can you pick from those, maybe the two or three, whatever you think we have time for, that are the most critical that we should know about? Sure. Well, yeah, I think what I'll do is uh, just kind of focus on uh, one bill that we supported and, and then uh, two bills that we opposed um, so a very crucial piece of legislation was House Bill 1080, uh, and this bill concerned gender ideology. So uh, the legislature considered a bill this year that would prohibit certain medical interventions done on minors for the purposes of altering the appearance of their gender. So uh, the bill uh, would prohibit uh, medical uh uh, pills like cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers, and also surgeries done on minors for the purpose of altering the appearance of their gender. Mm -hmm. uh, and the obvious reason for this bill is that these uh, medical interventions are are radical. Um, in many cases, they cause uh, sterilization. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes, they cause permanent disfigurement. And uh, and as an example of that. During the hearings on the bill this year, uh, we had two testifiers who were testifying in support of the bill. They were both young women 
who had had double mastectomies, um, had their breasts, perfectly healthy breasts removed because they were, um, they suffered from gender dysphoria and they wanted to appear uh, as if they were male and then later on regretted it. Mm -hmm. But guess what? They can't get their their breasts back. And so- so the idea that we have minors who are too young to consent to marriage, uh, too young to buy alcohol or tobacco, mm-hmm. too young to vote, uh, too young to yeah to do a whole bunch of things, but yet they're able to make a decision about having surgeries done on their bodies that are purely elective, um, that are producing irreversible results. Uh, that that is really sad. Yep. So the good news is that that bill was passed uh, by both the House and Great. the Senate. Uh, and was signed into law by Governor Nome on February 13th. Fantastic. So very pleased yep. with that outcome. Yep. And then uh, examples of uh, two bills that we opposed, there were two gambling bills uh, in this uh, session. One of them, um, House Joint Resolution 5006, would amend the Constitution to authorize uh, mobile sports betting, mm. where people couldn't place bets on sports on their, their phones which has been shown to be highly addictive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a similar bill um, uh, concerning video lottery that would have doubled the amount of money that people could place in bets on each video lottery game. And so even though the church uh, does not teach that games of chance are intrinsically evil, um, when, when you're talking about what I like to call sort of industrial level gambling, where it becomes an industry that preys on people's propensity to become addicted uh, to these practices, uh, then it does become a morally problematic thing. Mm-hmm. And both both the video lottery and the mobile sports betting have been shown to be very addictive and to have some really adverse consequences. So the Catholic Conference did come out in opposition to both those bills, and uh, happily, uh, they were both defeated. Oh, great. So, so those, those are just uh, some examples of how the conference engaged in this session. Yeah, yeah that's really good stuff. Um, Michael, can you direct people to the, the conference's website and where they can find, what kind of things that can they find there just in a 30 seconds or so? Absolutely. So the website of the South Dakota Catholic Conference is SD, as in South Dakota, sdcatholicconference.org. Uh, and there is a, a, a tab there that you can click on the 2023 legislative session and, and you can look at all the bills that the conference uh, supported and opposed during this session. Yep. And there is also a wealth of information yes. on other issues as well. Yeah, other big issues, some pro-life, right-to-life issues that are really big right now. I think people should go and check that out and and really get familiar with them. Absolutely. They're going to be coming up. So yeah. thank yeah. you so much for being with us today, Michael. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're back in Rapid City. Thanks for having Hopefully me. Hopefully it's not a terrible storm out there and we got some snow, but... Yeah, oh, well. it's it's snowing and it's pretty. <laughs> it's, it's 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 pretty when you don't have to drive. No, I was gonna say, listen, it's March. It's not pretty anymore, Michael. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, That's thanks right. a lot for being here. Thanks so much, Renee. You bet. Uh, if you want to know anything about what's happening in the diocese, you can always visit us at sfcatholic.org to see parish time, uh, parish mass times. Um, you can find your bishop's bulletin online there and all kinds of other things. That is it for us today. Hope you'll join us again next week for more Catholic Views.